Good morning, everybody. I would imagine as you made your way to uh, church today that you didn't give a whole lot of concern or thought about how you got here. You just got in your car and like, or your truck and like you usually do and you, you drove here without giving it a whole lot of thought. You didn't think about having to get here, but you know, it's important that we think about where we're going and think about what we are doing to get where we need to be. I hope that will uh, register with you as we go through this message today. I, I don't know about you, but I, I cringe every time I hear someone refer to their father as my old man. Does that, that bother you? Um, I, it bothers me immensely even when I hear a man call his wife my old lady. It bothers me a great deal more when I hear people refer to God as the man upstairs or my co-pilot or, you know, the big guy or a higher power. There are so many who refer to God as their pop culture God who helps them make touchdowns or gives them Emmy Awards. Think about it with me. What do all these different versions of God have in common? What do they have in common? One thing, they scare nobody. They absolutely scare nobody, and neither do they gather any respect. Somebody said they may appear to be helpful, accommodating, and nice. They may even have a reputation of appearing to help people out in a tight spot. These versions of God are cool and very easy to deal with. They may even appear to be cute and cuddly and chummy. Oh, and yes, there's one more thing they have in common. Not a single one of them exists. Think about that. Those thoughts or those phrases for a God that's out there, in many ways, are a figment of people's imagination. They don't scare anybody because they're not real. Friends, I want you to understand that the God of the Bible, the one we're going to talk about this morning who rightly calls himself the great I am, he is both real and he's scary. We don't like to think about that, but we need to. I grew up learning to fear my father, and I remember to this day the last time that my father whipped me. I was 14 years old. I remember the exact words he said as he threaded his belt back into the loops of his pants. He said, son, that's the last time I'm going to whip you. And he held up his fist. He said, the next time it's going to be you and me, man to man. I remember what I said to him. I said, sir, there won't be a next time. <laughs> and praise God, there never was. There never was. Listen, my, my dad, I knew my dad loved me. I knew he loved me. There was never any question about that, but but he wasn't all cookies and cream either. I knew that he was both willing and able to discipline me when I needed it. You know, God's like that. God is exactly like that. He is a loving, compassionate, gracious, and merciful God. But, but he's a real God. 
and he's scary sometimes. I want you to think about how scary God is. His power is downright scary when you come to think about it. King David wrote these words. He says, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed for my God to help me. He heard me from his sanctuary and, and my cry reached his ears. After he heard me, then it says, the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountain shook. They quaked because of anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down, and dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angel, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dense rain clouds. The brilliance of his presence broke through the clouds, raining down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High gave a mighty shout. He shot his arrows and, and scattered his enemy. His lightning flashed and they were greatly confused. Then at, the, then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. Need I say any more about the power of the Lord? It's scary. Do you know what? It's not all that's scary about God. His knowledge of who I am is also very scary. He knows everything I do. He knows everything you do. There's nothing that you do that he doesn't know. He knows every thought that I have. Every thought. Not just what I do, but my thoughts. He knows my heart far better than I do. He even knows my motives behind the things that I do. Through Jeremiah the prophet, he said the human heart, is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I know, I the Lord search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. The power of God is scary. The knowledge that he possesses is also scary. But then you also have to think about the capacity of God's wrath. That's a very scary thing as well. The writer of Hebrews wrote, There will be nothing to look forward to but the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Anyone who refuses to obey, refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He said, think about how, how much more how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of His covenant as if it were common and unholy. Such people have insulted and enraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to His people. For we know the one who said, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. So not only is he going to judge the enemies that he has, but he's going to judge us. It says in verse 31, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
Our God is alive. He's not just some make-believe God. Listen, the scariest character trait of God is his absolute commitment to holiness. To holiness. Along with his expectation for us to be holy just as he is. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, God said, You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. You say, well, Brother Randy, that, that was Old Testament. Well, yes, it was. But Peter restates that unchanging expectation in the New Testament as well. He said in 1 Peter 1, 16, For he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. You know, to be holy, you have to want to be holy, Right? You also have to walk a path that leads to holiness. So it's important that we get on the right path. Dr. Richard Powell said, and I quote, If we don't take God seriously enough to be very afraid of him, then we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. David wrote, Who are those who fear the Lord? That's a great question. Who are those who fear the Lord? He goes on to say, for those who do fear the Lord, he will show them the path that they should choose. Well, what does it mean to fear God? Another great question. What is fearing God? It is a state of all where we give God our attention and our adoration. If you fear God, then you respect him. You take him serious. You have a reverence for him. And the evidence of the fear that you have for God is your obedience to the Lord. When you choose, when we choose to approach this powerful, holy God in honest fear, David points out that there are several things that are going to happen. If you choose to fear God, then according to verse 12, it says that he will show you the right path to take. His words were, he will show them the path that they should choose. Every day... We have to decide the path that we're going to walk on or we're going to take. Our lives are full of situations that always have several choices, several paths that, that we, can, we can choose. And every path that we have opportunity to, to get on goes in a different direction. So here's reality. And I speak from experience. We have all chosen certain paths in life that sometimes get us lost. Sometimes we wind up going in the wrong direction. We, we all literally know what it is to be lost. I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, going from elementary school to middle school, back when I was in school, it was called junior high. I remember going to junior high. I remember riding a bus. Never rode a bus in my life until I went to junior high for the first time. But I remember our school, the way it was laid out. We had three wings that went off of the main part of the school, and they were divided, so there was actually like six halls that we had classes in. I used to be afraid to go down there because I, I couldn't remember the room number, and I couldn't remember where I was supposed to go. It was a scary thing. You know, when you think about all the hospitals we have around here, they're constantly uh, renovating and changing our hospitals. It's a scary thing to walk down the halls of some of our hospitals. You can get lost, right? And we've all made wrong turns when we drive on the highway and we've wound up lost from time to time. 
I remember doing a wedding years ago on Langley Air Force Base at the Old Base Chapel. To get there, I plugged in the address into my GPS and I left home and it took me right to the front door of the chapel. But getting home was yet another issue. When I got ready to leave, I punched home on my GPS thinking I was going to go there and I started driving. And I was driving and driving and all of a sudden I saw this base security truck behind me with these blue flashing lights. And so I stopped, and these two armed soldiers get out of the truck, and they come up on either side of my truck, and one of them very kindly but sternly said, Sir, do you have any idea where you were going? And I said, Oh, yes, sir, I know where I'm going. I just left the base chapel, did a wedding there, and now I'm headed home. And he said, Well, sir, you can't get there from here. You're on the flight line. He said, I need you to turn your truck around and follow me. And he drove me to the front gate and said goodbye. <laughs> hey, that happened. <laughs> it was a scary moment. We all have moments where we found ourselves lost and confused. Times when we've deviated from our intended course and we found ourselves in unfamiliar territory. Dr. William Rice said paths do have a way of taking us somewhere and the wrong path takes us to the wrong place every time. The wrong path takes us to the wrong place every time. Think about that. When you choose a path, you aren't just making a choice, you're really charting a course to somewhere. You aren't just making a decision, you're really determining, ter determining a destination. Thus we have the principle of the path, which states your direction always determines your destination. Your direction always determines your destination. So the direction that your path is headed in, it does matter. And that is because it will always determine where you wind up. That is why turning to God right now, why you can, is such an important thing. We need to turn to God while we have time. We need to turn to God while we can make that adjustment. On the day when Peter preached his first sermon on the celebration of Pentecost, there was a huge crowd of listeners that had gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate that festival that huge crowd of listeners had to make and choose a path moving forward. And that is because Peter confronted them with something very important. In Acts chapter 2 verse 36, it, Peter said so, and he's preaching this. He said, so let it be clearly known to everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Dr. Luke records that Peter's words convicted them deeply. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? For the first time in their life, they realized that what they had done was they had killed God's Messiah. They had killed the Son of God. They murdered him. And listen, there was no way in the world that God was ever going to be good with that. 
And they realized how, how serious it was and how much trouble they were in. And so they wanted to know what they could do to fix it. They wanted to know where they could go from there. What was the best path moving forward? Well, Peter gives them the answer in verse 38. He said, each of you must turn from your sin and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you. Notice this. And to your children and even to the Gentiles. All who have been called by the Lord our God. It said then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Strongly urging all those who were listening to him. Save yourself from this generation that has gone astray. The beautiful thing is that we, we, we get to see what happened. Verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said. Those who accepted Jesus. As God's Messiah and their Lord and their Savior. What happened? They were saved. They were baptized. Added to the church. And there was about 3,000 of them in all. Oh, that would be a beautiful day. The whole crowd was shown the right way to go. The right path to take. And praise God, 3,000 of them turned and took that right path. Now, you got to understand there was... A lot of people there. Several hundred thousand people gathered. 3,000 made that decision. The New Testament is clear that a person is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. However, it is also clear that you must turn from your sins and turn to God in faith and obedience. It says we, we need to repent of our sin. That is to turn from that sinful path that we're living on, to live and to walk on a path that follows after God and His righteousness. So when you choose to fear God, and it's important that you do, He's going to show you the right path to take. And that path is a path that leads to your salvation. He goes on in verse 13 to tell us that when we fear God, if we choose to do that, He will help us uh, to walk a prosperous path in life. His actual words are these, they will live in prosperity, and their children will inherit the land. Now, fearing God will not necessarily make you a rich person. That's not the context of this passage. That's not what this word prosperity means in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it is the word tob, which means good, pleasant, beautiful, excellent, lovely, delightful, Convenient, joyful, fruitful, precious, sound, cheerful, kind, correct, and righteous. You read it with that understanding. Psalms 25, 13 says they will enjoy a good life. Not the good life, but a good life. And their children will inherit the land. That's important. In the truest sense, in the truest context of this passage of Scripture, this verse suggests that a person who fears God will be able to know and choose between what is right and what is wrong, between what is good and what is evil. Fearing God is necessary for the making of good and right decisions. Fearing God in one generation helps 
the next generation and future generations to also make good decisions. I think you would agree with me that any nation that loses the fear of God soon falls. Right? We've seen it in the past. Guess what? We're seeing it in the present. I honestly believe that uh, we're seeing that played out right before our very eyes in our country. Uh, I, I believe that America, because it doesn't fear God anymore, is in big trouble. We don't fear God. There's an interesting passage of Scripture that carries the same spiritual concept that's found in the book of Ephesians. And it's, it, it, it's all about children fearing their parents. Look with me. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents as the Lord wants because this is the right thing to do. The command says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first command that has a promise. In other words, this is a command that God gives us to obey. But as you obey it, there's a promise that goes along with it. Verse 3 reminds us. He said, if you obey this command, then everything will go well. Everything will be well. It will go good with you. And you will have a long life on the earth. Beautiful. Beautiful command, but also a beautiful promise that follows. Dr. Evans writes about this passage. The saga of a nation is the saga of its families magnified. Our culture is reaping the devastation of family disintegration. Children are to obey and honor their parents. In action, in attitude, they are to submit to their parents' legitimate authority because their obedience is in the Lord. In other words, children are to respond to parents out of their response to God because parents are to lead in the ways of God. It's our responsibility to do that, parents. Doing so is right. Why? Because it reflects God's righteous character. Unless parents contradict God, children are to obey them. Children must also honor their parents, showing respect and, and holding them in high regard. If children, don't, uh, if children want things to go well for them and want to have a long life, in other words, live out their full ordained days, it is absolutely critical that they respond properly to their parents I hope you and I believe you already understand this but I hope you do if you don't I hope you understand that when parents don't fear God then neither will their children and, it, and I hope you also understand that if, if a child doesn't respect and honor his parents then he's never going to respect God I believe that's why God gives parents to have authority over us as children. He wants us to honor them and respect them and obey them because we need to learn in that arena how to obey and honor and respect our God. David said, if you fear God, then you will live a good life and your children will as well because they will know the right path to choose. There's something else in verse 14. He said, if you will choose to fear God, then he will invite you to walk the path of a special friendship. Look at what David writes. He said, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares the secrets 
of his covenant. In the Old Testament, we read about Abraham and how he feared God enough to believe in him. And he loved him and he obeyed him. James writes in the New Testament about this Abraham with these words. He said, Abraham, our ancestor, was made right with God by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. So see that Abraham's faith and the things that he did worked together. His faith was made perfect by what he did. This shows the full meaning of the scripture that says Abraham believed God. And God accepted Abraham's faith. And that faith made him right with God. And then it says, and Abraham was called God's friend. God's friend. As you can see, because of his belief and his resulting obedience to God, Abraham was called the friend of God. How does it make you feel when you're in a crowd of people and and there's somebody there that you're close to, how does it make you feel when they introduce you this way? Hey, I want you to meet my friend here. Think about that. To be called God's friend ascribes to you a certain dignity and honor and unspeakable joy. Because Abraham's faith was genuine and because it it proved to be real, he was brought into a very special and wonderful fellowship with those whom God called his friends. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but how's God going to refer to you when you step into the very presence of Jesus and you see him face to face? Is he going to call you his friend? That's a worthy thought. You want to be known as the friend of the Lord, right? Very worthy thought. Jesus said, I command you to love each other In the same way that I loved you. And here is how to measure that love that you're supposed to have. He says the greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friend if you obey me. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friend since I have told you everything the Father told me. Listen, there is no greater love than the love of the Father expressed in the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to the cross to show His amazing love and His grace and His mercy to the whole world. And He did this to show a clear path to to an abiding relationship with Him. I want you to Rest assured that Jesus wants more for you than just for your soul to be saved. He wants to be your friend. And he wants you to want to be his friend. He desires, his desire is not that we we just obey him because we have some kind of master-servant relationship. His desire is that we would know him so well as, as, as a friend that we would want to love and obey him and trust him. Can you imagine, and I know it's hard because I've tried to do it this week. Can can you imagine that the same God that created all that exists out there, the entire universe, wants to be a personal friend to you? That's hard to imagine. But he says, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who what? Fear him. 
fear him. Something else I see in verse 15. If you choose to fear God, it says that he will help you to avoid the enemy's evil traps by helping you stay on the right path. His actual words are these. My eyes are always looking to the Lord for help, for he alone can rescue me from the traps of my enemies. There are two things that I know for sure from my personal past experience with life. And the first is, is that Satan is very good at setting traps to enslave us into sin. Can anybody testify to that? <laughs> I think we all can. He knows our weaknesses better than we do, right? He does. And he knows what kind of trap that he needs to use to catch us in sin. He even knows where to put them. And he knows when to put them there. And he knows the best bait to put on that trap to catch you. He's good at that. Something else I've learned is that we're all really good at falling into Satan's traps. The further that we walk away from God, the easier it is for us to be trapped. But the closer that we walk to God, the harder it is for the enemy to catch us in sin. David actually gives us a key here to staying out of Satan's traps. He, he says it this way. The key is, our eyes need to be on the Lord. He said, my eyes are always looking to the Lord. Now, there are two more things that you should know about God and traps. The first being is that God alone is the one who can rescue from Satan's traps. Why is that so? It's because these are spiritual traps. Spiritual traps. Traps that leave you enslaved and caught in sin. Some of you are trapped in sin and you, you've been trying to get out of it for a long time, but you're never going to be free of it. Traps, I'm talking about that, that we will never be able to free ourselves from. Look, look at what David asked God to do for him because he was struggling with the same things we struggled with. Psalms 25 verse 16, look at what he says to God. Turn to me. Why? Because God turns away from our sin. He doesn't look on us when we're living in sin that's unconfessed. Turn to me and have mercy on me, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble and forgive all my sin. My prayer, and I started praying this earlier this week for you, is that you would pray that prayer to God. Forgive all of my sin. Make me right with you. Notice what Romans. This is one of the most important verses of Scripture in the Bible. It, it, it is a powerful verse. I hope you'll memorize it. I hope you'll take it to heart and understand that it was spoken to you. He said we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. We can all be saved in the same way no matter who we are no matter what we've done that is a powerful verse of scripture I've met a lot of people and I'm sure you have that say there is no way that God can save me had a man say that to me one day there is no way that God can ever forgive what I've done oh yeah he can that's what this Bible this verse says we can all be saved in this way no matter who we are or what we have done you know, not only can God rescue us from our sinful self, but he can help us to avoid the traps of the devil altogether. 
What's that old saying? Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you can keep your foot out of the trap, it's a whole lot better condition for you, right? Look at what Psalms 27:11 says. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the path of honesty for my enemies. My enemies are waiting for me to fall. Do not let me fall into their hands. So here's the idea. Here's the idea. The, the, the Lord knows exactly where your enemies are waiting to ambush you. They're hiding from you, but they can't hide from him. He knows where they're at. He knows all the details of how your enemy plans to attack you. They've already planned it out. You don't know, but he knows. He also knows the right path that you can take to avoid your enemy's trap. And he will help you to know where that's at. That's why David prayed, teach me how to live, O Lord. Teach me how to walk through life so I don't fall into those traps. Lead me along the path of honesty. You know, when you understand the context of the Scripture, you have to think about who and what David is dealing with here. David is constantly being stalked by Saul. I told you last week, 10 years he ran for his life because Saul was after him. His situation was like being surrounded by vicious, hungry lions who wanted to kill him and devour him. He actually states that in Psalm 57 verse 4. He said, I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. David knew his enemy. And there were traps that were set for him. But in spite of all the traps that were set for him, David said, I'm able to, to avoid them. And, and in many cases, his enemies actually fell into the own, their own trap that they dug. How did that happen? God made it happen. Psalms 57, 6 says, My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They dug deep pits, deep pits into my path, but they themselves have fallen into them. That wasn't a lucky thing that happened. That wasn't just a coincidence. David had a heart for God and God prepared a path for him and David saw the hand of God that delivered him and, and so David was determined uh, to, to exalt and praise God for all the times that he had been saved by the hand of God and because God had displayed his glory in David's trying circumstances. Psalm 57 verse 7, notice David's praise. He said, My heart is confident in you, O God, no wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, O harp and lyre. I will waken the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, in front of all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory Shine over all the earth. What gave David the ability to be able to praise God in the midst of a very difficult situation? 
What made it possible for him to be able to, to honor God and reflect on God's goodness to him in the midst of his earthly struggle? The, the answer to that is very important because you may be going through something yourself. What gave him the ability to be able to praise God in a difficult situation? Psalms 50, Psalm 25 verse 9 gives us an answer. Don't miss it. David writes, God leads the humble in doing what is right, teaching them his ways. God leads the humble spirit. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. All those who keep his covenant and obey his demands. You know, I, it's, it's easy to, to read scripture and go, well, that happened in the Bible. That happened a long time ago. But I don't see that happening today. Well, I was amazed that God gave me an illustration last week. Present day. I saw it last week as the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. Now, some of you go, wait a minute. You done gone to meddling here now. No, I, I'm not for either one of those teams. But I saw this being illustrated in real time. And I saw it in how Jalen Hurts responded to their loss. He's the quarterback for the Eagles. You know, no one, nobody likes to lose, right? Nobody. But some like Jalen see loss and life struggle as teachable moments. I was amazed at what this young man said when given an opportunity to give an interview. I want to read to you what he said. This is his comment. What do you think about your loss? This is how he responded. I think the beautiful part about it, about losing, is that everyone experiences different pain and everyone experiences different agonies in life, but you decide what you're going to learn from it. Think about that. You decide what you're going to learn from it. You decide if you want it to be a teachable moment. He said, I know what I'll do. Then he goes on to say, I think you want to cherish these moments. You want to cherish these moments with the people that you've come so far with, your family, your peers, everyone that you do it with and do it for. He said, I'm so proud of this team. I'm so proud of this team for everything that we've been able to overcome Obviously, we had a big-time goal at the end and, and that we wanted to accomplish, and we came up short. I was amazed that he didn't say, well, you know, we'd have won that game if that teammate of mine hadn't have made that boo-boo. He never said anything about that. This is what he said. He said, God is everything. He is worthy of praise. You have to put him at the center of everything you do. That's what I believe. All my wisdom, all my wisdom as a whole comes from him in some way, shape, or form, whether that be passed down from my father, my mother, or my grandmother. I just think in all the things that we experience in life, good or bad or indifferent, you have to keep him at the center. He said it's really important to me because I'm a man of God. Waking up every morning and having a routine where I can gain some wisdom and learn his word and just walk by the spirit. I seek to do that daily. 
And I challenged myself to spread that word organically. He said, not everyone in life gets to be a role model. And that's why I'm on this mission to be the best player, the best leader, the best man that I can be. He said, I know everything will unfold according to God's timing. Think about that. He said, I am blessed to be where my feet are. And my trust is in his hands. What a powerful testimony. Can you say that this morning? My trust is in his hands? Do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust God? My friend, is God leading your life? Think about that. Are you getting up and just doing as you want to do and as you need to do or as your priorities dictate? You know, so much of what we do, we do because we feel like we've got to do it or we feel like, uh, uh, you know, other people think we got to do it. Why do you do what you do? Or are you following God's lead? Are you walking on his path? Where are you headed? You're on a path. But where are you headed? The most important question you'll ever answer is this. If you were to die today, where will the path that you're on take you? Think about it. You can change your path today. But when you draw that last breath, when that heartbeat stops in your chest, you won't get another chance. As you are when you die, so you shall be for all eternity. Today, you can change course. You can set a new direction. You can put your feet in God's direction. You can walk with Him. But you have to do that. That doesn't just happen. That is a willful choice that you must make. And you make that as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? If you hadn't, you better hurry up. Because I don't think there are many more days left. Make that decision today.